it's almost immeasurable. It is so fear-based. We keep hearing about the very next threat. Corporations, organizations are faced with just a mind-numbing ocean of possible risk. From Ray and Associates Studio, this is Unsuitable, a management and financial services podcast for entrepreneurs, tenured business leaders, and others who are ready to look beyond the suit and tie culture for meaningful, measurable results. I'm Doug Hauser. On this weekly podcast, thought leaders and business professionals break down complicated and mundane topics and give you the tips and insight you actually need to grow your business. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button so you don't miss future episodes. And if you want access to even more information, show notes, and exclusive content, please visit our website at www.raycpa.com slash podcast and sign up for updates. We know that the last few years have changed so many things, the way we work, do business, and even interact with each other. In these changing times, how can organizations continue to keep their data safe and cyber threats at bay? Today, we're pleased to be joined by Mark Dowd, Chief Development Officer at InfoGPS, as he discusses what every organization should have in their toolbox to protect themselves from threats, also discussing current trends and more. Welcome to Unsuitable, Mark. Thank you so much, Doug. It's a real pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So, so glad to have you on because this is obviously a topic that is germane to all business owners and, and all of us even individually these days. And talk a little bit about the, the proliferation and, and scope of, of the threats uh, that we've seen over the last just, you know, two, three, four years. It's almost immeasurable. It is so fear-based. We keep hearing about the very next threat. Corporations, organizations, are faced with just a mind-numbing ocean of possible risk. You've got things from malware, ransomware, a lot of, and ransomware is, is not always the case, but certainly with malware, a lot of that comes from human error. You do not have to be a malicious actor inside. It's almost never the case that that is uh, the root cause. So you just click on the wrong email and all of a sudden your corporation is held hostage. It is such a frustrating topic. And for, I think even more so for the technos um, that, that are in the weeds, because of course they have a, they, they chase this stuff down to the very uh, bottom of the ocean only to realize there's another problem over here. It can really discourage non-technical business officers, oftentimes on the board, a lot of times on the C-suite. You could be a CFO without being a, a, a techno specialist um, and certainly an executive officer. And it can be so difficult to have a conversation with your technical staff that doesn't leave you behind. And um, that is one of the, I think, the key areas that, that I think any organization can do better at is to help the non-technical business officers start to have conversations with their technical uh, team and advisors uh, that doesn't leave them behind, that, get, that allows them to ask the right questions and get to accountability. Who, uh, when, what, can, what can who do 
to reduce our risk. I mean, that, that, that's, I think that's the, the, the executive challenge in leading this conversation. And oftentimes it's really hard to get to because you're drowning in what I refer to as techno babble, which is really frustrating for, for those non-technical business officers. That, that's a, a, just a fantastic point that, that you bring up there, Mark. So how does, you know, it, you know, that runs the gamut, obviously. So if you're a typical, maybe owner-managed business, that's 20 million in, in revenue, uh, you know, maybe you've got, you know, somebody in-house that's somewhat technically savvy, let's say, how do they raise that awareness and, and how do they partner with somebody that can really help mitigate that that risk uh, for them because they don't you know they're not going to have that capability necessarily in-house so yes. you know what should they be be thinking about and and asking themselves as a business owner so I'm, I'm glad you kind of scoped it with a revenue figure I mean I would consider someone in the 20 million dollar range as an SMB right? And I, I find most organizations in that scope, certainly if they're a manufacturer, but even if they're a service provider, to probably have someone in-house that is sort of a break fix. Hey, I'm having a problem here. I got my stupid emails not working. That kind of person internally. Uh, and I think that's, that's a given at that size. But then they are relying on an external source, an advisory source to come in and help them for maybe high level architecture and for paths to avoid risk. That's where things have gotten kind of tricky. There's a phrase that I think a lot of us know called MSPs. That's the managed service provider. Okay. And the managed service provider is not, I mean, that is a, not a commodity term. That doesn't equal you're always going to get X, Y, and Z. Um, there are a lot of very small MSPs that, that, you know, have two or three people in it and they can do a great job in helping you set, set up servers, kind of get your architecture working and, and really be a, a go-to resource for a lot of things that that $20 million or even $40 million operation might need. But oftentimes they are not, and this is why a new term has emerged, a managed security service provider. So now we, we look for MSSPs. So I will use uh, Ray as an example. You guys have a cyber group. That cyber group, is, as I know very well, is a managed security service provider. Mm -hmm. And that's what people need to be on the hunt for. And there's a lot of them out there. It's not like these people are hard to find. But when you are looking at outsourcing and, and you know, hopefully you're outsourcing a pretty penny, uh, you, 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 you should, this is not an area you should be trying to save a buck on. This is where you need a real partner that's got a lot of subject matter expertise. Um, you want to vet that, that group and make sure that you're not just getting a traditional MSP. And I'm not trying to take anything away from that group because they work really hard and they do provide a lot of value. But if that gap on security is not being filled by a real subject matter expert, you've got you've got real problems and the threats today are just they're they're so prevalent you know i used to going back you know 10 15 years it was like well you know that they're really only after the the big big companies you know right or or 
folks like that. Well, you know, certainly in the last, hopefully in the last several years, everybody's learned that we're all targets at, at this point, even individuals, certainly. But what we would consider a, a small business or a middle market business that's closely held, they're they're ripe for for attack and targets, probably because they're pretty easy to get at, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got to ask yourself a couple of questions. I mean, what are you holding, right? I mean, when it comes to a cyber event, your only risk is data, right? Data equals risk. Now, if your defenses are low, that's a different risk. But but even if your defenses are high, most of the most of the high level data breaches we hear about happen from Fortune 500 organizations that are spending millions and millions and millions of dollars annually for security, and they're just trying to build a higher wall, right? If you are protecting Fort Knox and you keep coming up to work, you're you're the, you're the person in charge. And somebody comes running up to you every morning and said, man, we did we did a brick count last night and we lost another brick. You're not going to go put another machine gun turret on the wall. At some point, you're probably going to want to put a video camera on the gold to see if and when and how that brick is disappearing. So understanding your data assets is a critically important thing just, just, to, just to begin the conversation. If you are holding privacy data, and you do not have to be a medical billing company to hold that. You do not have to be uh, AT&T to hold that. If you've got 100 employees, your HR department is probably carrying a whole lot of privacy data. So privacy data comes in essentially three flavors. You've got identity information, you've got credit information, and you've got health information. Now, I don't know, maybe five years ago, it kind of hit the mainstream understanding that health information, what we call PHI, personal health information, trades on the dark web about eight times the value that either personal credit information or personal identity information does. And really? That's yeah. unbelievable. But here's why. You steal my credit information and you go buy a Volvo I know right now, and then all of a sudden it's done. If you steal my personal health information, you can it can be used by bad actors to generate health fraud from a spectrum of people that will pay bills. I'll never find out about it. And yep. it's an evergreen asset that could be used for people to build money out of fraudulent behavior for a decade. And I'll probably never even know. Wow. So because of that, there's a, there's an evergreen flavor to it. But so it's giving you an idea. If you're holding that kind of privacy data, yeah, and you're and if you're smaller, you're probably low hanging fruit. Maybe you're not. You won't be the, the the biggest theft by the bad actor for that month. But that doesn't mean you're not low hanging fruit. I'm going to go get. I'm going to go get some privacy data. That's fantastic. The other data assets that you have to be worried about are assets that have incredible value to you that aren't necessarily um, public data. So if you've got you know, proprietary uh, intelligence running around your place, if you're full of IP, or even if you just have one or two golden nuggets of IP, if you've got the, if you've got the KFC you know, formula, well, that, you know, that's worth real money. Yeah. So you have to think to yourself, I, the, the, when I advise boards and C-suites about this, I, I, I say, what data 
do you hold that you cannot afford to get out into the wild? What data? Because because experience a network breach is usually a short distance from that to a data breach. It doesn't have to be the case, right? Um, there are some things you can do to experience one without suffering the other. But you got to be really sophisticated to be able to pull that off. So I always start with, what's your nightmare? What data do you have that if it gets out in the open, it's either a critical event or it is a existential event? Yeah, absolutely. If, you're, if you got $20 million, if that's your revenue, a data breach can absolutely put you under. I mean, there's, I mean, that, that's been, you know, that's been not only articulated, but documented to, to heck and back. I mean, that's just, if that's your revenue, if you don't have 5 million, 6 million in a bank sitting there uh, for that rainy day moment, it could be an existential threat. Yeah, absolutely. And what are the cyber criminals typically seeking to accomplish with say, you know, I, I mean, we hear about phishing attacks and 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 these types of things. I mean, what are the more low hanging fruit? I guess uh, that that they're typically trying to trying to get at is is it? Well, what they're always trying to get at is the data. Now, phishing a phishing attack is a methodology to get there, right? Um, I get you to click that link. Bam! I've got my malware in there, and now I'm able to go. Uh, I get on one device that's connected to the network. Now I can travel across all of the devices. So um, the different methodologies to pull it off are one thing. And that's where the techno team is very helpful to you um, because they are, they are working strategically and tactically against those methodologies. Mm. The higher conversation is what are we holding? And, and again, how are we holding it? So this, I'm going to keep this really non-technical. Every company has got these goodies, and, and usually they've got privacy data and other very special data that they do not ever want to get out. Um, by the way, I always, I always think of law firms. We never talk about law firms. Think of what a law firm holds. Oh, right? Absolutely. I mean, they hold everyone's secrets. So uh, remind me about that because there's actually an interesting uh, caveat. There's something I want to bring up again on that. But but a law firm is a great example. We've got all these secrets, right? Now, where are we storing them? We most organizations, um, especially at the forty million dollar plus, are sophisticated enough to have a Fort Knox um, somewhere in their network. It's referred to as a secure area network, a SAN. And you put all your goodies in that secure area network. It is usually, you know, you got to go through an admin to get to that data. You got two-factor authentication. It is where things are safe. Data breaches don't typically occur in the secure area network. Okay. Problem is, and this is where a law firm or, or Acme Manufacturing is a great example. The problem is, how often is that data taken out so that I can go open a spreadsheet? put it in an email and send it to my person, my, my partner down uh, the hall. We've, so, so, so now all of a sudden that data is no longer in that sand, what I call a highly structured data. 
it is now loosey goosey running around these net these endpoints these laptops and right and now so that data is now in what i would refer to as an unstructured or semi-structured data type and that's what that's where the fishers and the regardless of the methodology to get in that's what everyone is trying to find what kind of goodies do you have laying around in unstructured or semi-structured data that is where the risk is high and I love talking about risk um, because it, it, I think it's unsettling for boards and, and uh, C-suite managers to be thinking, to remind themselves what risk is, right? Risk is likelihood times impact, Yep. right? So I live in Ohio. The likelihood of me getting hit by a tornado is incredibly low. But if it happens, right. I'm in just as much trouble as I am if I got hit in a, by a tornado in Alabama. Right. So that likelihood understanding has held a lot of smbs back it's like i don't have a lot of money to spend i don't think i'm prone to this i'm feeling pretty safe i'm just joe blow who's gonna i'm not a target right who cares right are a target so a lot of people have a false sense of low likelihood even though they understand the impact would be high it's it's trying to get across to to uh SMB, especially I mean business owners and SMB uh, C-suites and when there exist SMB boards that you've got to take this likelihood a heck of a lot more seriously. And I, and I hate saying that because of course it all sounds like be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying if you can cross that bridge mentally, now you can start spending money in order to become more safe right be aware of the risk right like that's that's the job at any executive level be aware of the risk and do do the proper things to mitigate it as best you can you can never eliminate it but try to mitigate it and you know just so you're you're prepared it's almost impossible to reduce your risk by accident it almost has to be on purpose so you've got to understand the assets that you can have and then it, you do not have to be a high technologist to understand from your team, where are these assets located? And how, how are we curating our data? How are we handling our data? And, and what should our policies be? Do, do we even know if we're adhering to our policies? What kind of training are we giving our people? regarding this data. I mean, I, there are organizations that do phishing schools all the time and they've gotten better. And yeah. now they're like, I didn't even look at that email because I thought it was a phishing. And it might not, not even have been, but they're, 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 they're now, they, they, you know, they are erring in the side of caution, which is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but understanding the assets and then understanding how are we housing them today and what is our operational SOP with the, these types of data types that we have to be really careful about. How can we reduce our risk by having better procedures to deal with that kind of data? And yeah. I mean, I, I come from a legal family. I mean, I, I, there are like three different law firms in my family right now. I mean, okay. I, I, was, I love using law firms as an example because they, they've got crazy secrets. It's Absolutely. Like, here's, a, here's a PDF. Here's a Word doc. Help me, help me wordsmith this. And like in that document, are things that will ruin people's lives. Right. And the cavalier attitude that you guys are taking with this is shocking. So, yeah. so, so having said all that, going back to the MSP versus the MSSP, you may have a 20-year-old relationship with, you know, Pete and Ted's IT shop. And 
you can keep that relationship. I'm not suggesting that they don't have enormous amounts of value. But if you start to have this conversation and break into this awareness and decide that there may be some gaps that aren't getting filled, now's the time to start looking for that MSSP. And some of them don't want to be the break fix guys. A lot of them aren't trying to be everything to everybody. Their speciality is to come in here and talk to you about access. Their speciality is to come in here and talk to you about a segmentation of your network, uh, access into data, access into endpoints, and, and keeping that a separate piece. So, I mean, it's rare for a company that, that even the size of a $20 million company, I mean, I, I mean, if it's a, there are some $20 million companies that we threw that number out, so I'm sticking with it. They only have, that might be a manufacturing firm and they may only have 70 people and there's only 12 of them in the office. We're doing an event coming up at the end of September. Ray is actually one of the sponsors and so am I over at Walsh yeah. University, which is focused on the DOD supply chain and all the manufacturers. There's 300,000 manufacturers in that D, in that supply chain. And Heretofore, they have just been vouched for by the primes and the DOD, the DOD kind of leapfrog, leaped frog. Instead of trying to gradually increase, they said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna make a major shift and it is gonna be tectonic. And it is throwing a lot of those manufacturers into uh, uh, almost a frenzy because they will have to go get certified at this level. And if they're not, they will lose access to the contracts they already have, and they won't be able yeah. to bid on new ones. I mean, it's game over, and there's a fairly short window to get this done, and it's a significant change management. That, that $20 million, 70 employee, 12 people in the office describes a whole lot of people in that bucket. We're telling our, our government contractors the same thing, you know, that, that deal, you know, even if they deal with stuff that's, you know, they would co you'd consider unclassified, they still have to adhere to those standards. The main data that there's in, in the classified world, there's, there's top secret, secret classified, right? The CMMC requirements don't even deal with that. That's off to another piece. What, what CMMC is requiring is for you to know where every single piece of data is that is specified as controlled unclassified information. So it's right. unclassified to begin with, but they want to control it. So yeah. to give you an example, you could be an aluminum stamper in Michigan, and you might be sending out some part that winds up in a subassembly that goes into the, uh, the tail wing of an F-16. You, my friend, are holding a lot of CUI. You don't intend to, but you are. You're getting drawings. You get, this is how we need it. To, so you now have to jump through a variety of hoops that you don't have the skill set for. Not only do you not have anyone in-house, the MSP and even the MSSP that you might be working with has to be certified. They're called RPOs, Registered Practitioner Organization. You've got to get an RPO to come in and get you ready to be certified. It could take you six months to be ready because it's Absolutely. not just a, it's not this in this particular case for this particular certification. It is not a checklist. You have to prove that you have been doing the right things for a period of time. 
minimum yeah. 90 days. And it's going to take you 90 days just to be ready to start that and get 90 days, days worth of history out of it. So, I mean, it is a, it's a heavy lift. Yeah, I know we're, we're spending a lot of time trying to get our clients educated just to, to get them aware of the, the requirements and so that they can begin, you know, the, the assessment and, and process. Because like you said, if you don't get ahead of it before long, you'll be absent a big chunk of your, your business. And um, that's not good for anybody, obviously. In, in that particular case, for the CMMC, this is a great example. I mean, and this is a, a wonderful topic to think about all of cybersecurity from. In that particular case, they are looking at CUI from two perspectives. The first is digital. Where is it in your computers? So you may have 30 computers. Is your CUI only in 10? I mean, how are you going to figure that out? Uh, but then the other one is three-dimensional CUI, meaning is printed on a job order. It's a drawing that's been printed. It's a, in a folder out on the job floor. Right. All right. of that, if you've got a device that's got digital CUI, it's got to be segmented from the, away from the rest of the network. And if you've got files that are on the plant floor, it's got to be locked down and it's got to be separated from all the other works. I mean, it is... It is a colossal change management project. Yeah. And so that's why we're, we're holding this event at Walsh and you guys are sponsoring yes. it because we want to get a lot of people don't know what to think about it. There's a lot of misinformation. A lot of people are just flat out angry about it. And then they're afraid of it and they don't know where to begin. It feels like a murky topic. And you try to go read about it online and it's, it's, it's like reading an insurance policy. It is cool. <laughs> So what we're doing for that event, and, you're, and Ray is having a big part of that, is breaking that down for those business owners uh, so that they can understand what's the beginning, middle, and end? How do I scope this project? What does pre-certification look like? What does is, what is the certification process look like? What does post-certification life look like afterwards? And trying to break that down, again, we're going to have a lot of non-technical business owners and, and, and other representatives from those manufacturers in the room. So we've got to break it down for them so that they can they can understand it. They can mentally get their arms around what these sort of chapters mean to them, and it really does break down into into good chapters. That if you're a high level thinker, you can you can get this organized. Yeah, and then it becomes a lot less scary. Uh, and in that event, we're going to actually we've got the CEO of the CMMC accreditation board locked in as our keynote speaker. So that yeah, huge. that's fantastic. So the attendees can come and listen. I mean, they can drink right from the fire hose on 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 these regulations and the the current process and the evolution. There are going to be a lot of other CMMC subject matter experts based in Ohio in the room as well. Fantastic. Um, there are going to be um, and and some of those will be from Ray. Some of those will be Ray is a self. Uh, you guys are you guys are an RPO. There will be other RPOs in the room. There will be a number of software manufacturers in the room. Info GPS, my company will be one of them. So every one of the we'll have vendors there as well. So the the show is the the, the effort is two prong, and I I like. When, when we think about cybersecurity, it's kind of how I like to think about it in general. What are the ideas and principles? What do I need to know? What's my understanding? And then where do I go get this? How do I go source this? So any, all the attendees are going are gonna to walk away learning a whole lot yeah. and get it broke down into understandable chapters so they can start to be, how do I put this into an A to Z linear process? Right. We're going to help figure that out. 
And then the other thing we're going to do is we're going to have a room full of providers. So if you want to start the, the, the vendor floor, and I'm helping to set that up, the only the, the, the sponsors that are there that will be on the vendor's floor are only there because they have a very direct and pristine value prop to the CMMC process. So an example, you might ask, so, so as I mentioned, we're going to be sponsored there. You maybe ask me what, what our pristine value prop to CMMC is. Yeah, it's going to be, it's a great event and we're, we're certainly looking forward to it. So that is, that is awesome stuff. And hopefully our, um, our folks uh, sign up for the event, reach out to, to Mark or our, certainly our cyber team and get, uh, get signed up for it. Cause you will learn a lot and you'll become aware of a lot. And Ultimately, this can give you a competitive advantage, I think, and that's what we're trying to tell some of our our, our government contractors that that do, you know, even if they feel like it's fairly mundane construction work, for example, but it's uh, at government-related facilities, can give you a competitive advantage if you get ahead of it. If you're an early adopter, you'll be able to compete for more business. If you're, if you're, uh, the, there's levels to it, and I don't want to get into too much complexity, but a, a lot of people are going to need to be at level three. If you're an early adopter and get to level three, uh, with you know, within the next year, you're going to be able to compete on bids that didn't come your way before um, because because you got there uh, in part of the first wave. So not only is that true, but let me also say that I'm of the firm belief, and this is one of the things I think we're going to to focus a little bit on at at the event, is for anyone who's looking at this, it's not just to get across that finish line. It would be impossible for you to accomplish this and not increase the valuation of your company. It just it couldn't be. You couldn't attain this level of, of awareness and protection that doesn't get represented in the valuation of your company. It'll get represented in the cybersecurity insurance. You decide you want it, that, that, that makes sense for you. I mean, it'll ripple, it'll ripple through uh, a variety of areas. But Doug, I'm not sure if you heard me earlier. I, I invited you to ask me a question as an example of the, the kind of vendors we're going to have. Ask me what our value prop is to the CMMC uh, practice, the, the company who needs to get certified. What What's that value prop? Thanks for asking, Doug. What InfoGPS does is it finds all of that CUI. So it's a data discovery tool. So our place in that is in the very beginning. Our place is how big of a scope is this project going to be? I don't know where my, I don't know. I mean, I've got, maybe I've got 100 computers. Maybe I've got 50. We come in in day two, we can tell you all of your CUIs on one server and 12 laptops or, you know, 12 devices. So at that point, we can decide, do you need them on all 12 or can you live with them just on seven? And then that's the scope for your digital segmentation for those endpoints. So now all of a sudden you can hit the ground running. We've got people coming that are in the encryption business. We've got people coming that, that, that play different roles inside this process. There's no one who's, who's there who uh, shouldn't be. Everyone will have a very clean value prop. That's and awesome. And yeah. Those attendees will be able to, to network. And that's all from Walsh. Walsh is a, I've been privileged to be on the board of advisors for the Walsh School of Business for about a decade. And we've been working at Walsh to become more and more of a U2B kind of platform, driving value out to our corporate partners across the state. So we did, uh, InfoGPS led an event with Walsh, uh, with Ray and Associates in the spring of 2020 called Cybersecurity for the Board. And a lot of the first part of this conversation was kind of centered on that. How do we help these non-technical business officers figure this out? So this seemed like it was a natural 
follow-up cyber event, the CMMC challenge. But And I love the CMMC story because you can be a dentist and take from that some learning curve. Absolutely. Very cool stuff. And we, we thank, you know, Mark, this is uh, awesome. And we, we look forward to, to that event. And there's so much more for all of us to learn when it comes to this. And, uh, you know, certainly want to make sure we educate ourselves, uh, our clients have the opportunity and, and other uh, important centers of influence. So thanks again for, for coming on today and look forward to, to uh, hearing you and seeing you at, at the event uh, upcoming. So appreciate that. Thanks so much, Doug. It's been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. And if you want more business tips and insight or to hear previous episodes of Unsuitable, please visit our podcast page at www.raycpa.com slash podcast. And while you're there, sign up for exclusive content and show notes. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Be sure to subscribe to Unsuitable on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to us right now, including YouTube. I'm Doug Hauser. Join us next week for another Unsuitable interview from an industry professional. The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance.